Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are happy to say that we are here to preview opening weekend. We're, uh, we finally made it. Uh, as, we, as we record this, opening day is still a couple of days away, but as, as you're listening to it, uh, maybe you've got one more sleep to go, or, or maybe you're listening to it on your way out to a game on Friday. Whatever the case, happy opening weekend. We're going to run through some of the, uh, the, the best action around the country to watch this weekend, as well as our season predictions uh, for the road to Omaha. Uh, Joe, we are, we are excited about this. We are not so excited we're doing this for a second time. I'll, uh, I'll just admit it right now. This is our second shot at recording this podcast. Uh, but our, our excitement for opening day is unabated. Indeed, yes, we are. Uh, we, we are committed to you, the listener, to giving you the same energy we gave you in the first hour plus that we did, and realized we weren't recording. Uh, I will quickly speed through some of the bits that we might not do this time that we did last time. One, we talked a little bit about the doping allegations about the Russian figure skater um, and what that means. We did that a little bit. We did a riff on maybe podcasting more in Omaha and the fact that we're going to need like some sponsors to really step up to the plate. Shout out Nebraska Furniture Mart. We're looking at you. We know you listen. We know you're hearing my voice right now. Uh, Step up to the plate. We would do the podcast from a Nebraska Furniture Mart. Maybe we really don't have we can't we're not allowed to make those kinds of decisions ourselves, but that's on the table. Uh, I also talked about just, you know, looking around and kind of taking a deep breath and and. remembering where we were in this moment with the season starting and, and everything new uh, because before too much longer, we will look up and wonder how it got to be week nine already. Um, and, and what have you, that happens every year. These seasons are uh, long and short at the same time somehow, um, but they always do fly right by. So uh, appreciating in this moment, the newness of it and that we're at the doorstep of another season that we're excited for is uh, just something to be appreciated because they are pretty fleeting. We're going to leave my figure skating takes in the same place we left an interview with Chris Burke in 2020 and Mm -hmm. uh, a discussion of UCLA's elite recruiting practices a year ahead of when they brought in the number one uh, recruiting class in the country that was recorded on the day the 2020 season was canceled. Um, And we're going to plow plow forward uh, and get to our our season preview um, picks here. But first, uh, Joe did mention that, that we kind of talked podcasting schedule there on the, the previous pod. And what I will say is that uh, we are now going twice a week. This uh, this episode dropping on Thursday, that, that will be standard, your, your weekend preview. And then we will come back uh, the following Monday and wrap up the weekend for you. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Wherever you get podcasts, uh, now is a great time to subscribe. As uh, you know, we are we are stepping up as the the season begins, and uh, what w- what better time than the start of the season to uh, to get into the Baseball America College podcast? All right, let's uh, let's go back to our our season uh, preview predictions here. Starting with the national title, Joe and I uh, are every year we, we put together these predictions. They go into the magazine uh, in, in the crystal ball for the, uh, the Baseball America College preview issue. Uh, we got to pick a national champion. Both of us pick Texas, which is the preseason number one team, of course. 
Uh, that's a little bit rare that Joe and I agree on a national championship pick. And it's definitely rare that I bother to pick the preseason number one team because so often the, the preseason number one team does not go on to win the national title. But I feel good about the Horns. We've talked about them before. We talked about them when we released the preseason top 25 about how good their run prevention can be, pitching, defense, all the rest of it. I like their offensive upside. I think they got the best rotation in the country. They got a high-end closer in Aaron Nixon. Uh, I'm in on uh, on the Horns in 2022. Yeah, it just feels like a classic Texas team in terms of being pitching-centric, you know, uh, run prevention, with defensive players, you know, athleticism and kind of just enough offense to, to, to make it to where the, the things probably won't get stagnant for too long a period of time. They've got a little bit of power, most notably with Ivan Melendez. They've got some speed throughout, so they can do a little bit of everything offensively. So it feels like those, one of those classic Texas teams. And you mentioned how rare it is to be kind of a wire to wire number one. And, and there's unique challenges with that. It's, it's not just that Texas is going to play a difficult schedule and there are, and for a lot of number one teams, that is often the case, but it is also the fact that it puts a little bit of a target on your back. You know, people, uh, you know, see that, that number one number, and and usually they're not going to have to get up to play Texas because those are big games to begin with, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt. And so that is a little bit of an extra challenge there. And and it sounds like with what's, I mean, you've talked to, to people at Texas for your cover story, but it sounds like most of what has come out of there with regards to being number one is that they're kind of embracing it. And I think that's, you know, who, who am I to say, but, but I think that's kind of a, a smart approach to embrace it and, and understand that, Hey, that's the expectation here is to be one of the best teams in the country and to win national titles. And if, if you, if you're not gonna be able to handle that, then that's going to be a difficult thing for you because that's what the, the expectation is here. So, um, you know, teams kind of choose to handle that a little bit differently, uh, on an ad hoc basis, but, um, Certainly with Texas, it seems like they are, they are ready to take on the challenge and that's exactly what it will be. Cause uh, you know, teams get battered and bruised throughout the, the course of a long season, even, even the best ones. I, I think you said something there about how this kind of looks like a typical Texas team and you know, what are they going to have offensively? It's, it's always been about pitching and defense there uh, for Texas for decades. I do think this offense has a chance to sneak up on some people getting Melendez back he was drafted, chose not to sign, returned. Uh, that's massive. They've got some guys that have the ability to have to, to step forward to have maybe some breakout seasons. Uh, looking at Douglas Hodo, um, you know, can Trey Faltini or Silas Arduan, like they bring so much defensively already. Can they can they provide something? Uh, offensively as well, you know, th- there's there's a chance that this winds up being a more well-rounded team than even we're realizing right now. Uh, and then the other thing that they're really bringing is experience. They they made it to the semifinals last year in the World Series, uh, lost by one run to Mississippi State in the in the bracket final. Um, they know what it takes to get to Omaha. They overcame adversity last year to get to Omaha. You know, they they had that dismal start uh, in Arlington, going 0 and three opening weekend you know, reset from that, got to Omaha, won the big 12 along the way. And, you know, they know what it takes to play deep into, into the college world series. So I, I just like how all of that sets up for them. And in a year where there is so much uncertainty on the mound, just, there just is not that much experienced pitching coming back. Texas really stands out because it does have that experience. All righty. Let's move it on. Um, we will go to 
Omaha Sleeper. And Joe, this this has been defined over the years. Uh, I did not define it this way. It predates me. That it is a team from outside the top 25 that you think can make it to Omaha. Last year, uh, my you might have heard my Omaha Sleeper pick was Notre Dame. Uh, the Irish, the Oma Irish fell one game short, one win short uh, at Mississippi State in Super Regionals of making me look like an absolute genius. So I just only look like mostly a genius. Um, this year, the, the team that I'm, I'm picking is Oregon. The Ducks last year had a, had a big breakout, hosted a regional, of course, lost that regional to, to LSU, lose several key pieces from that team. Uh, chief among, well, one of them, chiefly Aaron Zavala, who was drafted by the Rangers, also Kenyon Yovan and Gabe Matthews and a couple of starting pitchers. And yet I still like what the Ducks have coming back. I really like what they've got on the mound. They brought in Adam Mayer, uh, high-end transfer from University of British Columbia, closer Colby Summers returns. Uh, I think they've got enough offense. And, and I, I, I think that if the offense is able to take a step forward, what they have on the mound and what they can do defensively uh, can carry them a pretty long ways. So I feel like with, with my choice, I, I cheated a little bit just because a, it's a team that was one win short of Omaha last year. And also it feels like an easy answer because they are, they're kind of always on people's lips among programs that are next to get to Omaha or just kind of assumed to get to Omaha at some point, but I went with Dallas Baptist and part of it is kind of almost logistical, I would say in that, it's a team that is probably at least going to get to the stage, you know, the field of 60, get in the field of 64. And you kind of have to start there. Um, you know, some of the in other teams you could pick, like maybe there, there's some downside risk with, with Dallas Baptist, their downside risk is so minimal just because I think they are always the most talented team in the Missouri Valley conference or have been at least of late. Um, that is the case again this year. And, uh, they're almost always the favorite in the conference, but this year feels like an, a, a prohibitive favorite in a way that's not necessarily normal. And so I just think they are going to get to the first stage of that. And then once they get to that point, um, you know, they're only a few wins away from, from getting there. And it is true that people assume they will eventually get there, but they do that for a reason um, because they continually get to the, the, the big game stage and uh, they continually punch above their perceived weight um, of what they should be doing as a, as a program. And they're, and they're talented. They brought in another, or brought in a good transfer class. They really use the portal. Well, um, they bring over some guys last year who were on that team that fell one win short of Omaha. And, you know, I think sometimes it can get a little bit overplayed, you know, the, the, the motivation from losing a big game at the end of the year and that group of guys coming back. But I think when you're that close, like, you know what it feels like, you can just basically taste it and you come up short. Like, I do think that can be a little bit of a motivating factor for a team. So for all those reasons, I went DBU. I mean, I, I think that you're you're generally on the right path picking DBU any year. The the way that things are are, are trending there, it's a matter of when, not if. It feels like you know similar to to what's going on at East Carolina, um, which very famously has not made it to Omaha. Uh, keeps getting to super regionals. Uh, DBU is not quite that advanced. Like last year's super regional was was a bit of an outlier, but they uh, the potential is always going to be there and. You know, you, you did the MVC preview and, you know, you, you definitely have DBU as the, the class of the league there. And, and that's only, you know, kind of reinforcing what they, the, the ability, the high end upside that this team has. So yeah, if we, if we were to see DBU in Omaha any given year, but especially this year, I don't, 
I don't think it would count as a surprise for for anyone. Although I will say the larger sports world would very much be like, what is DBU? I thought I thought that was a thing LSU claimed that they were, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, okay, player of the year. And we do split these into player and pitcher, even though in the postseason there is just one award. But here we, we break them up, position players and, and pitchers. So uh, p- player of the year for me, I am all in on Stanford's Brock Jones. I uh, just love the dynamism, dynamism he brings to the diamond. Uh, he, he, he's got some power. He's got some speed. Uh, he was a driving force for that Stanford offense last year, which was so powerful and, and helped the Cardinal get to the College World Series. I think there's more in the tank for this year. Uh, you know, he, he came to Stanford as a two-sport player playing football and baseball, stopped playing, ba- uh, playing football after his first year to focus just on baseball, and, and he made a big jump. And I, I just feel like the more reps he gets on the diamond, the better he keeps getting. And I'm very excited to see what, what he can uh, do here in 2022. Yeah. You know, I, for the record, am, I'm also big on, on Brock Jones. He's kind of a, just a fun player to watch. And uh, speaking of things that were discussed in the first episode that I guess I'll run back out here is that uh, the, the tattoos seem to add, add things uh, to like, it just makes him look cooler. It, you know, it, it, it makes him look even more dynamic if that's possible. So shout out to those guys in college baseball who are, Sporting tattoos, you know, Tristan Stevens, another one for, for Texas who does, and it's just not, not something you see a ton of in college baseball, but, but Brock Jones pulls it off. Um, I went with Jace Young from Texas Tech, and, you know, it's funny, when he got to campus, you know, and his brother Josh Young had just come through, like you would have, like as, as, much, as highly as you could have possibly thought of Jace Young, and I'm sure there were people who did. Like it would have been like borderline crazy to throw out there, go out there with the take of like, well, yeah, Jace is probably going to put up better numbers and he might be drafted higher because, you know, need I remind you that Jace Young was a first round pick, top 10 pick, and he put up massive numbers at Texas Tech. And, and Jace Young with a shortened 2020 season is probably going to put up a lot of better numbers than his brother. And we'll have to wait and see on the draft piece, but he's certainly in the mix to be drafted higher than his brother. And the idea that he would be able to do that with how good Josh, Josh was is insane. And so he, he's really going to make that lineup go at Texas Tech. We, You and I talked about Texas Tech on the Top 25 podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, we've talked about the questions we have about them. So if Texas Tech is going to be anything close to as good as what the standard is there over just like the last, let's say, five or six years, J.C. Young is going to have to be that guy. Um, and I think he's capable of it. Last year it was you know 21 home runs and – uh, you hit 337, I think, you know, coaches rave about, you know, his, his ability to hit and, and the surprising power he has in his frame. And um, so I think he's just in for a monster year because I, you know, more than anything else, I think Texas tech is going to need it from him. Uh, you, you mentioned how, you know, coming into his college career, like how could you have projected that he'd be better and, than, than his brother. And I remember talking to some people at on tech staff, I think it was, after Josh's sophomore season. So, you know, pre like knowing exactly where he'd be drafted, I, I think they just got Jace to commit. Uh, and, and they said that, you know, Jace is better than Josh. And I was like, are you no way? Like what, how, how is that possible? And yet here we are. Um, he is an incredible hitter. He plays, uh, you know, not, not the same level of defense that his brother played, but you know, he just the, the kind of hitter he is, uh, you know, it, 
it's a huge part of why Texas Tech's offense has been as good as it's been over the last couple of years and, and why we still expect it to be very good this year, uh, even with so many new faces in it. It's um, he's, he's a special player for sure. Pitcher of the year. I went with Mississippi State's Landon Sims. Uh, I feel like we've talked a lot uh, over the last six months about how Landon Sims is going to transition from his role as bullpen ace uh, to that of Friday starter uh, and how I'm not that concerned about it because he already was stretched out to pitch three or four innings at a clip last season. He usually only pitched once a weekend. So he just wasn't a traditional closer uh, by any sense of the word. And now they're just asking him to tack on a couple more innings and, and do it on Friday nights. And uh, he's, his stuff is, is incredible. Uh, he's coming off of an incredible season, big part of why Mississippi state won the national championship uh, so I, uh, I feel pretty good about what Landon Sims is bringing to the rotation. Uh, and again, I, like I said, for, for Brock Jones, just a dynamic player. I Landon Sims, when he's on the mound, like it's, it's a very exciting watch because you've got a fastball that's coming in the upper nineties and, and a, a, a great slider that's playing off of it. It's a, it's a really tough at bat and I'm excited to see what he can do now as a starting pitcher. Joe, you uh, you went with Blade Tidwell. You went mm. with Blade Tidwell at a time that Blade Tidwell was believed to be healthy. Uh, we since have learned that is not the case, that he is dealing with some shoulder soreness and is out to start the season indefinitely. Uh, so with that in mind, do you have a, uh, a, a, a backup pick? Do you want to take a mulligan here? What, what are you doing with pitcher of the year? Yeah, it's you know, it's, it's disappointing. And the, the reality is even if this is the most minor of minor things, and let's say blade is back on the mound, you know, in time for sec player or, or what have you, like, he's just not going to be able to make up enough ground, you know, having lost that time, because I'm sure there'll be a transition process and easing back into things. Like he's just not going to have the time to make up the ground that would need to put him among the best, you know, statistically, at least the best pitchers in the country, or at least it's not likely. So um, and, you know, it, it always does just make you a little nervous when a pitcher comes into the year with an injury. And this is from all accounts, like it's not expected to require surgery. Um, you know, um, and this is, this is not me actually reporting anything here. It's just that you're nervous anytime that a player comes into a pitcher comes into the season injured like that. Cause you just don't know, you really don't know. So we're hoping obviously for a speedy recovery and he gets back on the mound in, in short order, but given the opportunity for a mulligan, I, I guess I'll go Hunter Barco. I mean, he, he has you know, as much experience as really anybody could. And our colleague, Carlos Clazo, who covers the draft wrote about this recently, just the lack of track record among this, this class of, of college pitchers, largely due to the fact that they didn't get freshman seasons. You know, they were, they were freshmen in 2020. So they, they lost that, that season of experience. And Barco is actually one of the guys who has more of it because he was in the rotation from the start in, in 2020. So to the extent that that's a differentiator, I mean, it's, we're talking about, you know, four starts basically, um, he's got it. So I'll, I'll go Barco there. And he was better last year, I think, than the numbers often looked. I was a little bit slow to that last year. It, there were times where the numbers just kind of looked a little wonky and maybe you were there were questions about how well he was pitching. But then you kind of once you dug a little deeper, it, it was clear that he was he was pitching pretty well. So I'll go that direction. But, you know, really, if you you start to try to dig for other candidates. I mean, you can look at the, the FSU duo, you know, Messick and, and Hubbard, or if you, if you really, if you're really bought in on, on Adam Mayer at, at Oregon, like you maybe go that direction, but um, 
the number of candidates doesn't necessarily bowl you over because really with anybody that we would put in this place, we're really having to do quite a bit of projection. There really isn't a, an incumbent for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, Tidwell is just the latest uh, in a line of top pitchers who, who are out injured. Um, most of the rest of these guys are like out for the full season injured, like Reggie Crawford at UConn, kind of prelip at Alabama. Um, but and, and Pam Paulette at, at Arkansas, but the 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 top end of the college pitching class right now is not defined. Uh, even somebody like Landon Sims has the question of, well, he's never really been a starter before, so like, what's that going to look like? Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a time in college baseball uniquely, kind of because of the way the last two years went down, that. Uh, that there just isn't much experience in terms of pitchers and that makes handicapping a, uh, a pitcher of the year race, particularly challenging this spring. Also challenging as always is the freshman of the year race. Uh, so often it feels like some of these players come from pretty far off the radar to win the award. Uh, but Joe, you went with uh, somebody who's de- decidedly on the radar you went with Arkansas's Peyton Stovall, who had first-round buzz at times last season, winds up not uh, getting picked in the first round, and therefore uh, continued on to Fayetteville, where they're going to kind of shoehorn him into the infield. Uh, he was a shortstop in high school. He has the ability to play pretty much anywhere on the infield, and they're going to try him at first base. Uh, to get that bat in the lineup. He is a super advanced hitter. I mean, that's why he was getting attention as a potential first round pick. And uh, I imagine that's kind of what, what your line of thought is here uh, in, in picking him as your, as your freshman of the year. Yeah. It actually, when I saw that they were going to, you know, put him at first base, just as basically an excuse to get his bat in the lineup, it actually made me more confident than I would have otherwise been just because Arkansas is not hurting for bats. So they could have made the decision to play someone at first base who's what I assume would be a little more slick defensively, a little steadier defensively, has more experience there, and just kind of say, well, if we can get Stovall some DH at-bats or you know, maybe we bring him along slower, Like they, that option was available to them. Um, but they clearly felt the need to get his bat in the lineup ASAP, and so that makes me actually a little more confident. And so I don't want to define it as maybe gaming the question here, but... I think when you're talking freshman of the year, you know, oftentimes it's, it's guys who are going to come in and, and put up numbers right away and, and power numbers specifically, but just generally put up numbers. And so sometimes freshmen, you know, you mentioned yours a little under the radar, but even guys who are a little more on the radar, you know, you look at like an Alex Mooney at Duke, who was another player that, that I like and was highly ranked coming in into last year's draft and chose instead to go to Duke. And, you know, his skill set is such that, you know, he might not put up the numbers Peyton Stovall does. It's just a different player. And so Stovall, though, looks like, you know, cut out of central casting in terms of the guy who's just going to put up big numbers as a freshman. And and it will really be in the mix for for freshman of the year. And, and playing at Arkansas, a place that has such a stellar track record of, of developing that kind of guy certainly helps as well. Yeah, I mean, when, when I talk about guys coming from a little bit off the radar, you think about Torkelson, who was ranked in the BA 500 out of high school, but it was like in the 400 somewhere. You think about at Arkansas, Heston Kerstad, the kind of year he had as a freshman. Uh, that was a player that, yeah, by the time the the season came, 
came around. Like I think Hogs fans understood what Heston Kerstad could be because he had such an impressive fall and Dave Van Horn was not shy about sharing that information. Um, but he wasn't a prominent draft prospect coming out of high school. And uh, so you, you think about guys like that, or, or even Jacob Gonzalez last year at Old Miss um, was known very much. So he, he ranked somewhere around 250 or 260 in the BA 500 out of high school. But again, if anybody had realized that he was going to have the kind of freshman season he had for Ole Miss, I don't think he would have ever gotten to Oxford. I, I think MLB would have had something to say about that. So I went more off the radar. I don't know how consciously I went off the radar. I just really liked what Travis uh, Bazana did over the summer in the West Coast League. He's an Australian native, so he wasn't draft eligible last year as you know, the Australians are part of the international signing system, not the draft system. Uh, but Bazana came to the States uh, to play summer ball in the West Coast League. All he did was set a single season record for the West Coast League, hitting, I believe it was 429 uh, over the summer. And the West Coast League isn't the Cape, but it's a it's a very solid league. It's a league where a lot of Pac-12 incoming freshmen play. Uh, and they play against older competition too. It's not it's not just players of, of that age group. Uh, and so I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, now as as a freshman. He's going to play second base for the Beavers this year. It's kind of a top of the order, really good on base skills. Got the ability to steal some bases, uh, and I, I think he's I, I I am excited to see what he can do. I think he's the kind of player that can come in and hit right away. Uh, maybe not for as much impact power as you're going to see from a Stovall, uh, but I, I think he's got the ability to, uh, you know, really make a, make an impact on the Oregon State lineup as a, as a top of the order type. Alrighty, that is our uh, crystal ball picks. You can check them out in the magazine or over at baseballamerica.com if you prefer it in written format. Uh, we are going to now transition into talking about uh, opening weekend, going to preview some of the biggest tournaments, some of the biggest series from around the country uh, this weekend. We're going to get into all of that here in a second, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alrighty, Joe, we're ready to talk some opening weekend action. It is great to have games to talk about. I don't know about you, but like at this time of the year when we're doing previews, I am I am so sick of writing about and talking about how things might turn out for teams over the course of the full season. Like I'll be even happier on Monday when we can uh, talk about actual like games, things that happened on the field and not be previewing it at all, but just to have, you know, just to be able to focus on like a, a series and, and what the keys to the series or a tournament might be this weekend. That is uh, I am, I am excited about the ability uh, that, that we have to do that uh, today. So we're going to pull out some of the the biggest series, biggest tournaments from around the country and uh, and dive into them and, Get hopefully get you the listener up to speed uh, for what to expect on opening weekend around the country. Place where we got to start, I believe, is the State Farm Showdown. They're playing this at Globe Life Field in Arlington. That's the Rangers' home ballpark. Last year was the first year for this tournament, and it was uh, it, it was an amazing field. All six teams were ranked in the top fifteen in the preseason. Uh, you had college world series teams come out of here and hosts and, and all the rest of it. Uh, this year is not quite that, but it's still a, a very solid and what I find to be a very intriguing field all around. So we've got Arizona, Auburn, Kansas state, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Texas tech. Yeah. I mean, it's, if it's not going to be a blockbuster tournament, like you, you want it to be a tournament that provides an opportunity to learn something about the teams. And I think that's kind of, kind of what we have here. Like I look at this field and like, sure. We think that Arizona is probably a team that is going to compete for a PAC 12 title and, and Hey, could host and Texas tech is we've talked about them in the preseason top 25 podcast, but we, we have questions about them, but we still do think that, okay, that's a solid regional team. They'll figure it out to some degree, but then you look at Auburn, K-State, Michigan, Oklahoma, like, that's an opportunity for those four teams to come out of the weekend, having added something to the resume really early this season um, to project forward for, because those are teams that we don't necessarily have as, as locks to be in regionals. They, they probably are all teams that, that need to collect something in the non-conference to really hang their hat on. And uh, this weekend will, will provide that opportunity. So while <laughs> it is important that we don't get too wrapped up in, in one weekend of, of results, uh, we will probably do just that on Tuesday as we recap this uh, this tournament. But it will be important to remember not to 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 jump to too many conclusions. But that said, like I've always I've always uh, been clear about the fact that you know when you're when you're talking uh, good resume wins, it doesn't matter if they come in February or they come in May or they come in one game, you know one one off tournaments or, or what have you. Good wins are good wins, and and a couple of teams here are going to come away with several of them at the end of the weekend. One one thing that you know, it's important to remember when you're talking about not going, jumping too too deep into 
reactions after this weekend is that Texas went 0-3 in this tournament last year and was one of the last four teams playing in Omaha. So, you know, I, it, it is a good example of how much teams can change from opening weekend until the end of the year. And there were some extenuating circumstances last year. You might remember that there was the huge ice storm in Texas, and I don't think the Horns practiced at all the week leading up to the tournament. There were talks about potentially canceling the tournament. It all got pushed back a day, and the field was incredibly strong last year. So if a team goes 0-3 here, that doesn't mean I'm about to pick them as an Omaha team, but I, I do think that's a good reminder for everyone around the country, not just at the State Farm showdown this weekend that, you know, it is it is completely feasible to to bounce back from a disappointing opening weekend. The the other thing here about this field for me, Joe, is that I am I am so excited to learn more about all six of these teams. And that's what I think this weekend is going to provide. I have questions, big questions about all of these teams. You know, you've got Arizona with a new coach, a, a completely new college coach in Chip Hale. Um, you know, you have Auburn and Oklahoma coming off of disappointing seasons a year ago and, and trying to get back into regional form. You have Texas Tech, which, you know, we talked about, we, we've talked about plenty, I feel like, over the last couple months. Like, what is Texas Tech? Like, okay, they've got some stars here, but it's a lot of new faces around those guys. Um, you know, Michigan has, you know, some some big, big names to to replace. And Kansas State, can they continue the the progress that they showed last year? You know, they lost they lost a lot on the mound. How are they going to to respond to that? And um, you know, are are the transfers that they brought in are they ready to go? So I, I am I am all in on learning this weekend. I don't know that we're going to get definitive answers on any of these teams this weekend, but I am all in on getting more information on these six teams this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's the mound in particular is just such an interesting piece of the puzzle for these teams. They they all seem to have questions, and they all lost a guy. You know, you really go down the line in terms of of pitchers they lost. You know, in terms, you know, you look at, um, you know, the uh, Kansas State losing Jordan Wicks and Stephen Hadger from Michigan, and teams that had questions on the mound to begin with last season, like Auburn and Oklahoma. And so you, you throw that all together, and and hopefully they these teams for their sake kind of start to figure out exactly what they are on the mound. And, and one guy that I'm particularly interested in is TJ Nichols, Arizona, who's going from a swing role to the Friday starter role for the Wildcats. And his matchup is going to be on Friday against K-State, which is not the most formidable lineup he could have gone against in this field. Um, but, you know, I think we'll learn a little bit about what he's all about. He's a guy I picked in my Pac-12 preview to be Pac-12 pitcher of the year. And, and, and not, I don't mean this is a slight, but, you know, it was another situation where, you know, it was maybe TJ Nichols or Josh White from Cal or, you know, Alex Williams from Stanford, maybe there, you know, it's another situation where there just weren't a lot of obvious candidates there. And so, you know, you're betting on projection with Nichols and he really has the stuff to, to be dominant, you know, so um, it, it will be interesting to see his first foray into being the guy for Arizona and their ceiling, I think is, is really largely tied to what he's able to give them on Fridays because his, his ability suggests that he could be a real dude there for them. All right, so let's uh, let's move on here. We got another very intriguing tournament, another tournament that I think we can learn a lot from. This one doesn't have a name, though. They don't have anything catchy like the State Farm Showdown. Uh, so we're going to call it the Bulls Invitational, hosted by South Florida. 
Uh, South Florida is bringing in Charlotte, Yukon, and Louisville. Um, those are three of them are regional teams from a year ago. Uh, the one that isn't is Louisville. And that maybe is the most interesting thing here is that what are these teams going to look like this season? Charlotte took a big step forward last year, uh, you know, competed at the top of Conference USA, won the regular season title and uh, was in the mix to host a regional. UConn won the Big East last year in its return to the conference. Uh, South Florida won the American tournament. Uh, to reach regionals and then broke through with a, a, a regional win in Gainesville, played uh, Texas in, in super regionals. Um, th- there's, a, so th- there's a lot of intrigue here, and there's a lot of questions with, with all of these teams. Can South Florida build on the momentum? We mentioned that Reggie Crawford is out for the season. Uh, he's not the only player UConn has lost. Uh, from from that team last year, which was so good. What what is what is this year's UConn team going to look like? Uh, and, and Charlotte also had a lot of players turnover. What are they going to look like? But I to me the you know my attention goes here to Louisville, which is coming off of a big time swoon down the stretch in May, missed the NCAA tournament, had the number one overall pick on their team. Of course, Henry Davis is now gone. Um, last year was a really disjointed year for Louisville. Are they ready now, starting this weekend, to to bounce back? Yeah, that's a. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I meant to mention I I'm unofficially calling this the uh, USF Bulls Invitational, presented by the Publix Chicken Tinder Pub Sub. That's what I'm actually okay. going to okay. call. Just I mean, that's just for me. But Joe Joe is um, going to be there. So are you? What, what is your chicken tender uh, sub plan? Is that is that the first thing you do when you get off the plane, or are you going to build to that over the course of the weekend? Yeah, it's probably going to have to be fit in somewhere else. Uh, you know, other uh, other things. If unfortunately, because I'm excited about the pub sub, um, other things have gotten in the way of that. Um, you know, I've got got some other work related things to do right as my plane lands on Thursday, so I, that will be delayed a little bit. But I, I'm going to make it a priority to get there um, at some point. It, now, I say this knowing there's like there's a Publix like 15 minutes from me, but there's just something about being at a Publix in Florida that makes it like a more authentic experience. I feel like since, since this is the sandwich pod presented by baseball America, um, it's been a little while since I've been in Tampa. It's been a few years now. Uh, but my best Tampa recommendation is that you go to Frenchie's and you get the grouper sandwich there. Um, the one I always went to was a Clearwater, which is going to be a bit of a, like it's, that, that's a bit of a haul, but maybe you can find one a little bit closer for you there, Joe. But uh, that is that is my best Tampa recommendation, and frankly, that's just one of my best recommendations food-wise hmm. uh, in the in the general baseball world. Um, you know, in, in terms of places people consistently go, like you know, it doesn't matter if I have something great for Auburn. It, that that's not a it's <laughs> not the place where baseball fans are, are consistently going. But for people that are going to spring training or uh, you know, Tampa is a pretty consistent baseball destination. Like that is that, that that's one of the best ones I've got. Uh, consider that noted. It, I hadn't considered also speaking of, you mentioned being a baseball destination. I hadn't considered like, it was kind of a cool deal. Like when you or I were in, um, you and I were in Arizona to start the 2020 season that like, it felt like there was a little bit of an extra, like some juice in the air because spring training had just started. So you know, while that sometimes did get expressed in ways that were kind of, um, 
difficult because I remember going to the tournament hosted by the Angels and uh, the Angels beat uh, were all just taking up their seats in the press box and went down to the field. Um, so there was like nowhere to sit, which is, I'm not blaming them. It's just a, a logistical challenge, but, um, but there was kind of like an extra buzz in the air. It felt like for baseball out there and what, you know, the area I'm going to in Florida is, you know, Florida is much more spread out obviously with spring training, but it is a, a hotbed um, for spring training stuff. So um, yeah, I, I guess I'll kind of miss that to the extent that it was something that, you know, I would be able to, to tell, but anyway, it might make traffic a little better, I guess. So I guess there's that, but at least around the complexes anyway. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, Louisville is the kind of the attraction there, which is um, they're in a position they're not normally in, which is really kind of feels like there's a lot of questions about them. We're not sure what to expect. Um, you know, any, any bets we're willing to make on Louisville is largely just a bet on, Hey, this is a program that time and again is, is, is excellent. And so the, the idea that, that they would bounce back seems pretty easy to wrap our heads around. That said, I mean, they really do have a lot of questions. You detailed a little bit what they're what they're up against. And I think they've got an interesting matchup right out of the gate with Charlotte. I mean, it's a good Charlotte offense, which is impressive to say and a good job rebuilding by that coaching staff because they lost two of their better guys in Gino Groover and Dom Palali to transfer to NC State. And yet that lineup should still be really, really good. David McCabe and Austin Knight are two of the best hitters in Conference USA and frankly, two of the best hitters in the country. They're both on the top 150 players list that we just published at baseballamerica.com. And, you know, Louisville, it really felt like week to week, game to game last year, it was just a complete grab bag on the mound. Like you never knew what to expect. And some of it was injuries and some of it was uh, COVID. And some of it was a guy like Michael Kirian that they tried to put in the rotation. And it just didn't quite work. There were just a lot of things going on and they'd get some good outings. Luke Seed had some, some nice moments, but, you know, it just wasn't a Louisville pitching staff like we've come to expect under, you know, Coach McDonald and, and Roger Williams. And so, I think that's a good challenge right out of the gate for them. I will say with, with Louisville, there definitely is a scenario where we come out of this weekend and we look at the results and, and, you know, I'll obviously get a really close look at them, but we come out of this weekend thinking like, Oh, this is actually the best team. It was in this field by far. Like they were a class above everyone else. They were a class of their own. It seems like they've got some things figured out. Maybe Louisville really is off and running. And again, we'll want to be careful not to overreact anything, but I, I do think that is certainly on the table, just coming away a little bit blown away by what Louisville puts out there and realizing that, oh, this team is still extremely talented. Last year maybe was just like a little bit of a blip on the radar. I'm really interested in what UConn looks like this weekend. Um, not only did they lose Crawford, who over the summer was a breakout star with the collegiate national team, but... Biggest player of the year, Kyler Fedko, is gone. He was drafted. They lost the catcher to the draft last year. Uh, they lost their number one starter from last year to the draft. So there's a lot of guys stepping into bigger roles this year, and they're now missing the most talented player on the roster. So uh, what what do the Huskies look like? Are they – is this a team that can build an at-large resume? And this weekend is a big part of that. Um, or – you know, is this a team that's going to have to win the Big East tournament to make it back to regionals this year? They're the best team in the Big East that is imminently, like, completely possible for them to to manage. But um, I, I'm interested in seeing what they have. And I'm also really interested in what, what what is South Florida? They were a team that, you know, was not supposed, not only were they not supposed to be in super regionals last year, they needed to win the AAC tournament to get to regionals and they weren't supposed to win it. Um, you know, so what uh 
what's more real there is the way they were playing at the end of the season more real is what was happening earlier in the year more real is it somewhere in between like where is usf and how much have they been able to build on the momentum that they accrued uh in their postseason run from 2021 yeah certainly you know it's a good call on on usf and and certainly uh, feather in their cap is you know in terms of a combination of talent and accomplishment. Jack Jaziak is probably tops among pitchers that are that are in this field of four teams, and Orion Kirkering, their closer, is probably second on that list. So they they do have some advantages here. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them play well this weekend. But I'm I'm fascinated for the same reason you are. Are you more the team that was about 500 in the regular season, or were you more the team that um, you know got through a regional or won they won the American tournament, got through a regional, and then, you know, played Texas tough for at least one game out in Austin. Um, are you more that team and how much have you built? And it'll take more than one weekend to give us that answer, but it will be fascinating to see the the early stages of it anyway. All righty, let's, uh, let's move it along here and let's get to some series. You know, we love the early season tournaments, but the, the series, those are, those are always feeling a little more familiar. Um, we got a big one in Nashville as Oklahoma State comes to town to take on Vanderbilt. They played this, uh, the reverse of this last year in Stillwater. Vanderbilt won the series. Um, you might remember it from Jack Leiter pitching really, really well, um, as he so often did in non-conference play. Uh, th- this year, obviously no Leiter, no Rocker. First look we have at Vanderbilt without those two guys. Um, this is the number two team in the country, though, in, in the Commodores. And they're playing against a team that believes it can go challenge for a Big 12 title. Uh, so it's a, it's a really good test for both of these teams. And, uh, you know, I, I am most interested, I think, in the way Vanderbilt looks on the mound. We talked an awful lot last year about what Vanderbilt had on the mound beyond Rocker and Lighter. Um, well, now we're really going to find out what they're about this year without Rocker and Lighter, because it's not just a conversation about Sundays uh, or midweeks. It's it's just what what is this team without two top ten picks on the mound? You know, and it's it's funny because you know it's you could ask some similar questions about Oklahoma State in terms of what they get on the mound, like you know, full cosign on Justin Campbell really good year last year started off as the midweek guy elbowed his way into the rotation the weekend rotation part with the year was just awesome throughout the the entirety of the year like he's a guy who should compete with Vanderbilt's lineup even as good as as Vanderbilt's lineup is you know what Oklahoma State gets past that is going to be interesting I mean they bring in Victor Medeiros guy with really good stuff from Miami big part of that number one ranked recruiting class for the Hurricanes that arrived before last season but ultimately he's a guy whose ERA was above five didn't finish the season in the rotation, um, you know, did some nice things on the Cape. Sure. So like, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about him, but like, he's got things to prove and a lineup against Vanderbilt's not going to be the most forgiving. And then there's a, really just a whole group of pitchers at Oklahoma state. I mean, I early in the 2020 season before things got canceled, I, you know, I was in Arizona and one of the big reasons I was there was to spend some time with Oklahoma state to potentially at some point in the season, write about that freshman class of pitchers they just brought in. And, you know, they've hit on clearly hit on Justin Campbell, but, you know, the, the big name there was Bryce Osmond and he was always thought of as a little bit raw, but, but really, I think at this point, I think the hope was that there'd be more result than, than what Osmond has provided. You know, Cale Davis was another guy in that group. There are others, but by and large, that group just hasn't really, hasn't really hit. 
I shouldn't use that word, but because that's hitting as an actual thing in baseball, but that group really hasn't burst onto the scene like they they had hoped and developed over the last couple of years. And so this is a group they're going to lean on this year. That group's in their third year here. This, this should be the kind of the backbone of the pitching staff at this point. And they're going to be tested this weekend um, as an entire unit. So I'll be fascinated there. And, you know, we're kind of the low person nationally on, on Oklahoma State. And so I see some of the reason for optimism others have, but, you know, I'm kind of a little bit in, in prove it mode there because as as good as some aspects of their team look, I, I do also have some questions and I think we'll, we'll learn a little something this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I get the upside. I just think that there's a lot of risk involved with Oklahoma state. Um, and this weekend is, is going to be a big step, uh, you know, for, for Oklahoma state to prove it, you know, if Griffin Dorshain could be a great piece to the lineup, he's also transitioning from Northern Kentucky. Um, you know, to, to playing in major, major conference college baseball. Uh, he's going to face SEC pitching now this weekend. What, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, they, Victor Medeiros was, you know, has all the potential in the world, but, you know, it was, it was not, there's a, it, it just wasn't as good as, as you would have liked it to be as a freshman last year at Miami. So I, there, there's a lot of things like that within Oklahoma state. And I'll be curious to see how, they fare against or what we think is a really good Vanderbilt team on the road this weekend. One note on Vanderbilt is that, you know, if you look at the rotation this weekend, Tim Corbin announced it today. Um, it is not what anyone anticipated. Uh, so kudos, first of all, to Tim Corbin for playing it very close to the vest as he so often does. Uh, but it's we're looking at a Vanderbilt rotation of Chris McIlvain, Nick Maldonado, and then Carter Holton. McIlvain was kind of a swing man a year ago. There were some Sunday starts, some some coming out of the bullpen. Um, he pitched in the Cape this summer. He started the uh, championship game uh, for Brewster. Uh, I don't think he won the game. The team won the game. I'm not sure he got the win in that game. But anyway, he, he pitched well on the Cape. Nick Maldonado was their co-closer last year with Luke Murphy, was voted a preseason All-American by MLB scouting departments this year as a reliever. Uh, now he'll move into the rotation. Curious to see how the stuff plays. Uh, he's got the stuff to do it, uh, though that now also means they're looking for an answer in the bullpen because Luke Murphy is in uh, in Pro Bowl and McIlvain and, um, and Maldonado are now in the rotation this weekend. And then Carter Holton is a freshman. We did see that one coming. He had an outstanding fall um, for the Commodores. But notably absent from that are sophomores Patrick Riley and Christian Little. Um, you know, we'll see what things, how things shake out. The way things start isn't the way things finish. It's not the way things are in April necessarily. Uh, but for right now, I mean, I was really excited about Patrick Riley. I thought he pitched really well in the Cape over the summer. I had really talked myself into Patrick Riley being a breakout player uh, in 2022. So to see him not in the rotation uh, is, is surprising to me, um, but we'll, we'll see what this, uh, what this new look Vanderbilt rotation has this weekend against what should be a pretty solid Oklahoma state offense. Bring a uh, dress warm. If you're going to be in Nashville high on Friday and they're playing the game at 4 PM smart, smart choice there, but uh, high is 42 on Friday. Nashville a little bit better the next day, like in the low fifties Sunday, you know, in the, in the sixties. Um, so it does get warmer as the weekend goes on, but that uh, gonna be a little chilly on that, uh, on that first day, especially once that sun starts to go down. So, um, uh, dress warm Nashville has a 
history on opening weekend of having some colder days. Teddy and I were reminiscing about the last year, the series against Wright State got pushed to a Monday doubleheader because there was snow in the area. I was there in 2018 for a season opening series against Duke that uh, the, the game, the first game of the series I was at was uh, played in a cold rain, uh, roughly about 40 degrees. Um, so th- this is kind of par for the course for, for that time of year and playing baseball in February. Dress warm, grab some hot chicken. That's right. All righty, let's, uh, let's head a little further south. I don't know how much warmer it's going to be in Starkville this weekend, but the reigning champs, Mississippi State, open this weekend against Long Beach State. Uh, this is a really fun in a regional matchup. Mississippi State, we have ranked number three coming into this season. Long Beach State just on the outside of the top 25. But this is, I don't, I don't think anyone in Starkville is going to be thinking lightly of the dirtbags. This is the, re, the, the reverse of a series they played in 2020 when Mississippi State went out to Beach. Uh, and the dirtbags won that series. That you may have forgotten it. First of all, it was now almost two years ago. And second of all, it happened like the week before the pandemic canceled the 2020 season. Uh, so it was definitely ground shaking at the time, but it quickly became overshadowed. Uh, that said, I don't think anyone around Mississippi state has forgotten that that happened. Mississippi state also is uh, a lot has changed. Uh, you know, Will Bednar, Christian McLeod, they're, they're in pro Bowl. Uh, Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, they're in Pro Bowl. So you know, you're taking some of the best players, some of the, you know, in Tanner Allen's and Rowdy Jordan's case, like the heart of that team, uh, you're taking them out. And, uh, you know, just what what is Mississippi State now going to look like? We, we trust the talent. I just talked about how much I like Landon Sims on Friday night. Uh, but this is, uh, this is a bit of a new look for the Bulldogs. And they're going to be facing a, uh, a talented um, group in the dirtbags. Yeah, I mean, I think your point is is correct. Oh, by the way, uh, answer not much warmer. Like, what if we did this as a segment out every preview? Like, I just read <laughs> off the temperatures for where it's going to be. I mean, it would get a little bit tedious towards the end of the season because it's just going to be like, how much of a chance of rain is there is all we're talking about. But... I mean, you know who would love that would be uh, the solid verbal and Ty Hildebrand. Mm, I thought you were going to say Mike Trout because he definitely listens to our podcast. Also He's Mike a Trout, weather yes. nerd. Yeah. Yes. Both both Mike Trout and the solid verbals, Ty Hildenbrand, confirmed listeners of the Baseball American Indeed. College podcast. You heard it here first, folks. Hi, Mike. <laughs> good to good to uh, good to have you listening again. Um, but yeah, not not much warmer. A little warmer. Not much warmer. Um, anyway. But yeah, I, I think you're right that you know Mississippi State is certainly not going to be overlooking this weekend, given and their fans kind of understand the deal given what happened a couple of years ago, but I think there's an opportunity for kind of like SEC fans generally who just kind of are national college baseball fans that just kind of check in on this series this weekend, or at least check the scores. They, you know, I think they might be in for a little bit of a surprise because I don't, I don't think there's a lot of acknowledgement of just how good this long beach team is. I mean, it's a team that, you know, probably would have been a regional team in 2020. We'll never know, but given what they'd already put on the board on their resume in 2020, they would have really, had to collapse down the second half, or not even second half, second three quarters of Big the West year. play would have had to have not gone terribly in. for them. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, so that they certainly, with what they had shown, they were looking like a regional team. And 2021, they played only conference games and 
first of all, it, it hurt them that UC Irvine was excellent last year and really just took the auto bid off the board, like from the jump seemingly. And then they were always going to have a hard time getting at large consideration because unlike the big 10, where you were kind of comparing, you know, Michigan to Indiana to, um, you know, whoever else in terms of bubble resumes, you were just comparing them to each other largely there were other big West teams. Most other big West teams played at least some non-conference games. And so they were just kind of hurt from a perception standpoint. I feel like when, when push came to shove there, but that was a team that, you know, people who pay attention and, you know, Teddy included, you've mentioned this, like that was probably a regional team that just was never going to build the resume. The committee was going to like, so that's the kind of team that Mississippi state is facing here. Think of them as a team that's been a regional team the last two years, basically. Um, so this is not a series that Mississippi State can waltz in and just play average baseball and expect to win the series. I don't expect that to be the case. They'll be celebrating a national title this weekend in some ways. So I think the place is going to be absolutely rocking more so than it even normally is. And so I would expect Mississippi State to be fine here. However, um, it's not just going to be that easy. I think the most interesting thing that could happen that, again, I wouldn't bet on, but given what Mississippi State is is missing and the most fascinating thing I think that could happen would be, you know, what if they lose the Landon Sims start? Um, because that really puts them behind the eight ball a little bit um, and would answer, or at least start to answer some of the questions we have about them, about where do you turn next? Not just in the rotation, but also, oh, you don't have this um, kind of security blanket at the back of the bullpen and Landon Sims who can bail us out a little bit and give us three, four innings if we need it. You've obviously removed him out of that role. So what do you have now? So that would be just in terms of trying to learn things about that team. Um, that would probably be the most interesting thing that could happen. Um, it's, it's however unlikely given how good Sims is, but um, I think that would probably be the thing that, that I would be interested in, in seeing happen just to see how that plays out. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I would also just be interested in like, okay, it's a close game on Saturday. Uh, like you're up. Mississippi State is up like two runs after seven innings. What do you do? Because last year that was Landon Sims and the game was effectively over. Uh, so what what is what does that look like now? And I, I think that that's I I, I want to learn what Mississippi State how they're building this pitching staff behind behind Sims. From Long Beach State's perspective. They're coming in with a really strong pitching staff themselves. Luis Ramirez will match up with Sims on Friday night. And, you know, he's coming off of a, a really solid summer in the Cape. They have Devereaux Harrison, who pitched for Team USA, coming out of the bullpen. Uh, I am interested to see offensively how they how they fare here. Because this is, because they weren't able to play non-conference games last year, this is the first time in two years that Long Beach State is going to face like, I mean, yeah, they played some fall games or whatever, but th this is the first time they're going to face real competition from a non-Big West school. Um, you know, so they haven't seen SEC pitching and the style of pitching that they're, they're going to see this weekend in two years. Are they ready for it? Um, what can this team do against a very, very powerful uh, Mississippi State pitching staff? I, I that That is... Um, probably where, where my interest lies the most uh, from a Long Beach State perspective is what, what can they do offensively? Yeah, I think this is, this is probably this in terms of just series, like this is the series that kind of in between games while I'm in Tampa or maybe while I'm driving to places just to, to have on to listen to, or if I, you know, like I said, in between games, maybe trying to check in on a little bit, it's the one I'm, 
I'm certainly most interested to see. You heard it here first, folks. Joe does not care about what happens in Nashville. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exact. That's exactly it. You took that's, the word uh, right out of my mouth. That's that's the read. That's the read to get there. Um, yeah. Okay, so those are kind of the highlights. The the biggest highlights of the weekend. The 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 primary storylines, if you will, Joe. Uh, what else? Uh, what else should folks be keeping an eye on this weekend around the country? All right. So, you know, we've talked about the fact that it's not in terms of headline things, it's not the best opening weekend, right? Like we've talked about that on the air. You and I have certainly talked about it off the air as you and I had to do things like make travel plans where we're going to be this weekend. Um, I will say, though, there is some pretty good stuff, like a little bit under the surface. So if like the big stuff is like the A storyline, like these are like B and C storylines to use like a movie or TV metaphor here. But so I think there is some stuff under the surface here. So I'll rattle through several here um, just to give listeners kind of an idea of what else is going on out there. And then we'll, we'll talk about one in a little, a little more length, but um, Wright state going to Georgia tech, uh, Wright state lost some stuff off of last year's team. That was just so, so good, but that's a program that just reloads. They play well in series like this. Speaking of things that are lost to time because of the pandemic, they won a series against Tennessee to end the 2020 season. Um, so that's a, uh, a program that we know what they're about. They, they tend to get up for series like this. So going on the road to Georgia Tech, I think that'll be interesting. Maryland at Baylor, another good one. Two teams that we think are solid regional teams. Um, series that I frankly don't really know that I was aware is happening. It's a pretty good series though. So there's that. Indiana at Clemson, uh, two teams that the shine is a little bit off of given the way last year ended for each of them, um, but a good opportunity here for both. Wichita State at Louisiana Tech. Um, two programs that I think um, could use a series win like this to help build a resume playing in conferences that don't always necessarily provide the best RPI opportunities. You didn't mention it. Uh, uh, you mentioned on the episode that got uh, was not recorded. Um, so I will fill in here, though. Uh, the MLB four tournament also taking a step back this year, much like the State Farm tournament, but but worth just kind of at least monitoring San Diego State, Cal, Houston and TCU, Cal and TCU, the two best teams out there. Also, both teams I'm fascinated in because much like the teams we've talked about in so many of these tournaments and series, a lot of questions for for both there. Um, if you're a draft, particularly draft interested person, JMU is visiting Florida State. Speaking of our car, our colleague, our car league, I put a little combination there. Our colleague, Carlos Colazzo, he is going to be at some subset of the games in that tournament. Uh, that is notable because while I don't think that'll be a particularly competitive series, um, it is Chase DeLauder of James Madison, big time draft prospect facing off against Florida State's pitching staff and most notably Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard. So there's some interesting stuff there from an individual player standpoint. Oh, uh, another one, UC Irvine visiting uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Um, you know, Irvine obviously ranked, so it's a little more on the radar. Uh, Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns also um, a little more of a brand name in, in college baseball, but interesting that Irvine, you know, it would be tempting for them to just sit at home uh, because of the good weather in Southern California. Um, it's t- it would be tempting for them to just kind of sit and camp out there, but they are going to go challenge themselves with a difficult road series. Hard to know exactly what to expect with the Raging Cajuns, but uh, Matt Deggs, if, if he follows a similar timeline to what he did at Sam Houston State, I think we should expect uh, the Cajuns to take some steps forward this season. So we will see how that uh, plays out this weekend. But the series that I'm going to focus a little bit on is Liberty visiting 
Florida, uh, in Gainesville. Um, it's obviously we, we, we've talked a little bit about Florida here, but it's, it's a Florida program that, you know, really fell flat at the end of last year came and, and frankly, it was just kind of a weird season for them in general, came in at number one, had some ups and downs really just seemed like a team that never found its highest gear. Um, it always seemed like it was just kind of, uh, idling a little bit, ended up hosting, but was towards the back end of, of that group and got eliminated pretty quickly in its home regional. And that was that, um, lost some guys over the off season. Now they've, they've got some questions. Um, so this weekend, the team you, you may not necessarily want to see in that type of scenario is Liberty. You know, this is a program that I think people know what they're about at this point, but uh, kind of expects to win in, in big situations. Last year, they won 40 some odd games. They dominated the ASUN conference. They got to the final of the Knoxville regional Trey Gibson. Their Friday guy is a legit Friday guy. Who's going to be a high draft pick. Um, the offense is, is good. Aaron Anderson, gray Betts, Brady Gulakowski, uh, Logan Matthew, all guys who can really impact the baseball. They've got some athleticism. So I think, I mean, it's a team that I think can play with Florida um, you know, it's obviously going on the road to Gainesville is a, it's, it's a tough deal, but that's a team good enough. And I think importantly has enough belief in their ability to compete, to, to go there and, and win games. Yeah. I, this is a Liberty team that made it to a regional final last year in Knoxville showed a lot of offense along the way. I mean, that was a really offensive regional, but Liberty was a part of that. And uh, now they're going down and they're playing a Florida team that like you said, Joe, there's a lot of been a lot, a fair amount of turnover, you know, Tommy Mace, Jack Leftwich, uh, Franco Alamon, like several pitchers were drafted from last year's team. Uh, Nathan Hickey, uh, one of their top hitters from last year also drafted and signed. So there, there's a fair amount of new there in Gainesville and Kevin O'Sullivan has never been shy about playing younger players early in the season, allowing them to uh, adjust to their roles and reaping the awards for that later in the year, but maybe taking a couple losses early in the season as a result of, you know, letting freshmen and sophomores work out, you know, just get experience on the job. Um, so maybe Liberty can take advantage of that this weekend. Liberty did start last year a little slow. They lost a series against Campbell and then got swept at TCU. Going to have to play better than that from the get-go if they want to get something done here. Uh, in Gainesville, but this is the kind of team uh, that can challenge Florida. It's the kind of team Florida likes to play early on in the season. Uh, they typically are playing really good kind of mid-major teams or just major conference teams, but teams without numbers next to their name. Um, it, it really fits the kind of way that uh, Kevin O'Sullivan wants to schedule teams that are going to help them build out strong RPIs challenge them but you know not that they have their showcase weekend coming against Miami they're building to that now um so I I think it's a really interesting series I, I, I from a Florida perspective very interested to see how the pitching staff behind Barco gets built out here uh there's a lot of talent there just isn't a whole lot of experience behind him uh so the way that they go about um, shaping that the the choices they make coming out of the bullpen, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing that this weekend. Weather in Gainesville, a little chance of showers on uh, Friday off and on, but uh, oh, looking really good say. the rest of the weekend. 
Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard it here first, folks. It might shower a little bit in central Florida. Uh, but temperature is good. Uh, Saturday, the highest 70 and, and partly cloudy. Sunday looks beautiful. Highest 78. And uh, at least the projection is not a cloud in the sky. So how about that? Notable also this weekend is uh, Florida is bringing out the big guns for some opening pitches. They're, they're mm, going. I, I saw Bill, that. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Napier on Friday night, their new football coach. Uh, it, it's going to be Sainter Saturday again. Uh, as Brady comes back on Saturday and then Mike Zanino on Sunday. I mean, that, that's about as big as Florida baseball could swing. Um, you know, going, going to their two national player of the year winners over the last decade. And then also the brand new football coach. Yeah, I was, I happened to be in um, Columbia, South Carolina last year, the Arkansas series in um, Shane Beamer throughout their football coach who at the time it was a new um, throughout the first pitch at, at one of the games there. And uh, he spent the rest of the game. I kind of, I mean, it's part of the job. I get it, but like it took him a really long time to get back up the concourse to his suite, just because, you know, you have to shake hands and take photos and, and it's part of the job, but uh, I sure hope Billy Napier is not going to be in a super big hurry to get back to whatever suite he's, <laughs> he's sitting in for the game because it, he, uh, he will, he will get stopped a time or two. I, uh, I can only imagine so that's what we got around the country this weekend. Um, plenty to, to, to check out, plenty of baseball, very happy to have baseball back, just excited to have actual games to, to watch this weekend. Uh, we'll be writing about it throughout the weekend over at BaseballAmerica.com. Make sure to check that out. Uh, you can find right now plenty of preview season preview content to get you ready. Uh, for opening weekend and beyond. And you can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA for further thoughts and analysis throughout the weekend as well. We will be back here with another episode of the Baseball America College podcast next week. Typically throughout the season, that'll come to you on Monday. This next week, it'll come to you on a Tuesday. Uh, with President's Day, some teams are taking advantage and, and playing an extra game on the weekend. Joe is going to take advantage of that opportunity, see some extra baseball. So between that and travel schedules, we're going to push recording until Tuesday. Uh, but if you subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, um, it'll just pop into your phone. You won't have to worry about it. Just it, it comes right in there. So again, Start of the season seems like a great time to hit that subscribe button on the Baseball America uh, podcast. So make sure you you do so, and uh, we will we will be with you twice a week throughout the college baseball season. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next week. Happy opening weekend, everyone.